are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Ramil and the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. The NBA Finals start Thursday, and for the first time in nearly half a decade, it won't be the Warriors versus the Cavs. For the first time in almost a whole decade, LeBron won't be in the Finals. And for the first time ever, the Toronto Raptors will be. That means we have a matchup that we haven't seen before, so there's a lot to get into. Uh, I thought we could do this thing where each of us list our top five most interesting players in the finals for either team, and then we can just sort of go through them and do our preview thing that way. And we'll just start from number one and then work our way back to number five because I'd be shocked if we didn't all have the same person here at the top. Ben, you're the guest. Let's work off of your list. David and I will just tell you if we have that same player on ours and where. So, Ben, the most interesting player in the NBA Finals is... I think it's Kawhi Leonard, and I say that because it's been a really long and strange trip for him back to the finals. You'll remember in 2014, uh, you know, he kind of had that like Pascal Siakam or Andre Iguodala type role for the San Antonio Spurs trying to lock down LeBron James, make his life as difficult as possible on the Miami Heat. I'm sorry, I don't oh, remember like, the 2014 finals. I don't, oh, I don't yeah. remember that Sorry at about all. that. You guys probably blocked yeah. that one out. But it's a little bit of role reversal now, right? Like, isn't Kawhi sort of in this LeBron role where he's got all these mm-hmm. Hall of Fame-level defensive guys in, a, in a, an entire scheme from Golden State focused on him, trying to slow him down, trying to make his life miserable? And so I think it shows the evolution of his uh, Kawhi as a player, uh, on a five-year journey that has taken him to a first-round exit against the Clippers, being outdueled by Kevin Durant and the Thunder. Um, obviously, the injury against Golden State, the lost season in San Antonio, the off-season trade. So, I mean, it really has been a a long and uh, you know checkered five years for Kawhi, and I think he's shown that it's kind of his moment right now. I mean, he, he's pulled the Raptors through this postseason. He's playing the best basketball of his career. Uh, he's going to go against a team that is shown a lot of uh, success over the years in limiting star players whether that's LeBron, uh, James Harden, uh, Damian Lillard kind of the list goes on and on and so this is going to be a real test for him but I also think he deserves this number one spot because defensively he's going to be crucial to everything that Toronto does on that end too. I mean you can envision a scenario where he's spending time on all four of Golden State's main players whether it's Curry, Thompson, Draymond, Kevin Durant when he gets back healthy I mean he's that versatile of a defender he's that important to what they're trying to do and obviously he's their answer if the series gets tight uh, if Toronto is looking for solutions if they just can't slow down Steph Curry I feel like they're going to most likely turn to Kawhi just like they did uh, when they were trying to answer Giannis so to me I think because of his role on both sides of the basketball because of this long uh, story that he's been on he is the most interesting guy in these finals yeah, he kind of went from the, the Scottie Pippen to the Michael Jordan, kind of as far as what his role is now on the Raptors versus what he was doing in other championship years. I had him also as my my most interesting player. David, is that the same for you? or No, actually, I have him as my second most interesting okay. player. I know, interesting, you know, obviously that's a pretty subjective term, and you and I had talked about what that criteria should be for interesting, and I don't know if we came up with any kind of clear answer. There isn't going to be one. Yeah, Kawhi, just, Kawhi and interesting doesn't necessarily go hand-in-hand hand unless we're talking about like an NBA Finals preview, I guess. Yeah, that, I mean, that's fair. I mean, his off-the-court personality, whatever that might be, because we're not exactly privy to <laughs> it, is, you know... <laughs> You know, that, that's still up for debate. But as far as his on-court production, I think, Ben, you hinted at the fact that, you know, Golden State is likely to limit what he can do 
So knowing that he's probably going to get limited just because he's been asked to carry so much of the workload for Toronto, we could probably expect that he won't have the kind of world-beating series that we might expect or hope from him you know, or what we've seen from him thus far into the playoffs. And so does that minimize his impact throughout the playoffs? I mean, he's still interesting. He's still a great player. He's still worthy of MVP consideration. I just don't know that this playoff series is going to define the player that he is. And therefore, to me, that kind of makes him a little less interesting. Plus, I mean, what does make him interesting is, is my, from my perspective is you know something else that you hinted at, the fact that he's already been to the finals. He's already had a taste of this championship success, unlike most of the other roster. Only his former teammate or his current teammate, Danny Green, both with the San Antonio Spurs, has finals experience, right? So they've already seen this. We can understand that they'll probably live up to the pressure of the moment because they've seen this before. And from Kawhi, I mean, he's already known what it's like to be the MVP of a series in the finals and, and to win a title. So that kind of I guess to me, again, kind of reduces how, how interesting he might be. I, I don't I expect him to be great. I expect him to have fun moments throughout the, the series at some point. I just don't expect him to be so interesting that he is the most interesting player on the series. Well, one thing I'd say to push back a little bit, I mean, he, he wasn't in that main role, so this is a definitely a totally different circumstance sure, for him. I get that. Now, the, the stakes here in terms of upsetting a favorite, though, I mean, Golden State deserves to be the favorite with or without Kevin Durant. I mean, they're the team that's been to the finals five years in a row, so if Kawhi somehow pulls this off, that's going to blow a lot of people's minds, and it should. I mean, it would be a crazy upset. Right. Sure, it might not have the same narrative juice, right, of like LeBron in 2016 where, uh, you know, that one's going to be remembered for, you know, the next 100 years as one of the greatest finals ever, but it would certainly be like a complete shocker. And then you add on top of it, he could leave as a free agent, like right after the title parade, right? So uh, I think that even though his personality, I mean, there's no question, like it's hard to out-boring Steph, you know, on the podium, but Kawhi (laughs) definitely succeeds in doing that. But I just think like the shock factor, if they are able to pull this off, uh, because he's been sort of away from the postseason spotlight for the last two years because of the injury in 2017 that kind of cut things short and then just being off mm-hmm. the map entirely last year. So the turnaround story for him would be crazy. Upending the NBA you know, pecking order, uh, if he was able to beat Golden State, would be crazy. He would probably mm-hmm. get crowned as the best player in basketball if he's able to pull mm-hmm. that off, which that's not something that I necessarily saw coming before the season started, uh, just given you know where his body was and the health questions and – uh, how is he going to pace himself during the season and all of that? Um, those are all pretty intriguing. Then you throw on top the fact that he could just leave and shake up the entire NBA yet again. Like he could deliver a title that the Raptors fans were so excited about. They celebrated just making the finals by pouring into the streets and then turn around and leave them and, and go maybe bring that same level of hope to another franchise. Uh, to me, that's all pretty juicy. Yeah, I don't know if losing or winning the NBA final. Like, I don't know if this entire experience even impacts his decision this summer. He might have already decided he wants to go there or wherever. Um, but if he wins the NBA Finals, I've heard people say, well, now he can't leave if he wins the NBA Finals. I've heard other people say, well, now he could definitely leave if he wins the NBA Finals, just like LeBron was able to leave Cleveland when he delivered that NBA Finals championship. So, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that this could sort of go, and that that underlining question is going it just sort of lends itself to the to the intrigue in Kawhi Leonard's performance and the Toronto Raptors and if they're able to do, uh, force the upset and all these other things. And then just from on the court, not to completely dork out with the actual basketball being played, but Kawhi is the sort of player that has given the Warriors fits in the past. I mean, LeBron James is this big physical guy that could do these isolation things on his own and impact the game on both sides of the ball. And 
And we saw James Harden uh, become a problem for Golden State just because of how physical he, he plays and the way he can just get his own shot without needing to get ball screens and, and kind of, you know, limit the Warriors trapping and switching stuff. Kawhi doesn't need the ball screen. Kawhi could just sort of go isolate on one side of the floor and then just go on whoever is guarding him. And I think that's going to be interesting from the Warriors' perspective. Do you put Andre Iguodala on him? Do you put Draymond Green on him? What Do you put Klay Thompson on him? And even that, to me, is less interesting than who the Raptors put Kawhi Leonard on because we saw the, the conference finals complete, completely flip when uh, Nick Nurse put Kawhi on Giannis. And it completely changed the entire nature of that series because Kawhi was able to force his hand on, and just kind of force and dictate the, the the tone of that series. Do you, if you're Nick Nurse, do you then put Kawhi on Draymond Green and try to stifle that that Curry Draymond pick and roll? Do you just say, you know what, screw that, let's cut out the middleman, let's put Kawhi right on Steph Curry and challenge Curry to beat us, especially while Durant is out, he's already been ruled out for Game One. I think there's a lot of things that they could do with Kawhi, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what you guys are both arguing seems like it's kind of based on this incredible performance. I mean, I know we're all looking forward to seeing what Kawhi can do, but I guess from my perspective, and I know this criteria, again, subjective as hell, but I was kind of, I just was approaching it from a different angle. Like, you guys, both your arguments kind of seem based on assuming they're able to win this the series assuming that they're able to win the title and what happens next with Kawhi and the questions regarding his offseason well no i think is, it's, it's interesting to see what they do to just try to win it and i think that you no, can no, argue yeah, right I, now I they have the best with Durant out they have the best player on the floor the yeah, best look, two-way player on the floor for sure they're not winning this series unless Kawhi is easily the best player in the series right like the, yeah. the formula and the matchups and the talent disadvantage and the experience disadvantage and all that stuff i mean that's all working against toronto so they need him to enter this hero mode that he's really been in for the last couple of weeks. But I don't think the gap between Kawhi and Steph is really that big. Steph's my number two, but I think, David, you said you had him number one. What's your case for uh, Steph at number one? No, I, actually, I did not say Steph is not my number oh, one player. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, actually, uh, Kyle Lowry is actually my number Whoa. one player. I, yeah, I mean, to me, I, well, I, it's just, it's not about, like, their, their, what I'm foreseeing their impact to okay. me. It's a, kind of what I'm hoping their impact will be. Or, or the questions I have as to whether or not yeah. He'll live up to this moment, so maybe it's something we should talk about in another segment. But no, let's get into Lowry right now. I yeah, mean, unless we, any, sure. yeah. <laughs> any other, any other last thoughts on Kawhi, Ben? Any any thoughts on who Kawhi should guard on the Warriors or, or how that might play out? No, I mean, I think, like I said earlier, he's going to have some time on on all their main guys. But the uh, the Kyle Lowry thing to me is actually pretty interesting too. Like like David's yeah. saying, because he's going from a training wheel series, right, where he's just completely right. outplaying Bledsoe, George Hill. Uh, you know, Brogdon, I mean, his steadiness, his ability to kind of, you know, sit in there, you know, and be a, a nice, consistent, complimentary player, uh, filling in the gaps around Kawhi Leonard, maybe taking over when he's on the bench at times. Uh, now I think he the training wheels are coming off, right? He's going zero to 60 real fast, dealing with Golden State's backcourt guys who have, you know, kind of humbled and embarrassed, uh, you know, lots of people along the way during the postseason. So uh, he was so excited after that game six, he couldn't wipe that smile off his face, but now he's jumping right back into a, a deeper end of the pool than he's ever been in before. I had I had Lowry at number four, by the way. Ben, did you have him in your top five? I didn't, uh, but okay. you guys are making right. strong cases. Well, it, it's just it's not even about the the you know the training wheels uh, to me anyway. I just I'm curious to see how he handles this moment. Like like so much of like he's been so 
the person who defines Toronto so much over the recent years, like his lack of success in the postseason or his his faltering in big moments. And so now we've kind of seen a slight reversal of that because he had such a strong series against Milwaukee. And I'm curious to see now that they're moving into the finals, something I don't think anybody expected Kyle Lowry to ever be the starting point guard in an NBA finals. And yet here he is. Obviously not the team's best player. And so it's these kind of players that to me are are more interesting. It's not about the best player. Clearly Kyle Lowry is never going to be the best player on the floor at any moment. He could be fun in moments, but he's not going to be the best and you know consistently. But it's it's this is like the, you know we're we're talking about Kawhi and his MVP you know run in 2014. I don't think anybody expected that considering they had Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and even on the other side Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Nobody saw Kawhi's emergence coming so this is this is the moment for somebody an ancillary level player to kind of step up and make it their you know special yeah. defining moment for the rest of their careers and it could be Lowry and that's why I'm kind of curious to see how he lives up to it yeah I mean my note my note here for Kyle Lowry again I have it for first finals what does he do yeah, so we have that's about it, that, right? That's it. I have no idea. That's he, the biggest question then, right? We already know yeah. what Kawhi and Steph and, and KD yeah. are going to do. He's I mean, a huge X factor. And, and right. it, the thing is with him is, look, we know what he's going to do defensively, that he's just going to try really hard. He's going to fight over all of these screens. If you if you have Kawhi against Draymond, I guess you have Lowry against Steph. That's just going to be fun to watch Lowry chase Steph around the court. And if he's not guarding Steph, maybe you put him on Klay Thompson, and now he's got to do the same thing. I think you could really help him there. And... and how he gets involved, he is just like this physical guy. And we saw guys, we see guys like that all the time give the Warriors problems. We saw Patrick Beverly give them a huge problem in round one. And so Lowry might be able to kind of do that same thing. I don't know. But the main thing is, can he even score enough? In four games in this postseason, he's scored less than 10 points. And in four games in this postseason, he's scored 20 or more. Most of the time, he's like somewhere in the middle. But there are like, I don't, I don't, he can't afford to put up a goose egg in this series because they will lose that game. No matter what, like he is going to have to score points in this series. No, I'm with you on that. And remember, I mean, the formula to beating Golden State in the 2016 finals relied pretty heavily on Kyrie scoring like 40, right? I mean, that right. he really had to step up in a big time way. And I'm not sure there's anyone on this uh, Raptors roster, including Lowry, who's going to be able to give that kind of a pop. So that means. Well, unless Fred Van Vliet can keep right. shooting yeah, at 87% yeah, from three point range. I can't believe you're knocking. From the new father, right? But uh, <laughs> your point is. Lowry's got to show up every single game with some significant scoring to kind of fill in the gap there. And I, I totally agree on that aspect. I also think transition defense at times really hurt Toronto and got them into some holes against Milwaukee. They were able, you know, Milwaukee's half court offense really struggled, but they were much better when they were able to kind of push out, uh, get Giannis loose a little bit and all of that. I think Lowry's ability to protect the basketball, like you're mentioning, get back on defense and try to uh, hold Golden State's transition offense in check is going to be huge because uh, Milwaukee was able to get up 15, but you know Toronto was still in those games. I think if Golden State gets up 15 and they're able to kind of like spurt early in the game and you know Steph's going nuts and he, and Clay is finding those wide open transition threes, that kind of a thing, digging out of a 15 point hole against Golden State is a lot more difficult than it would yep. be against Milwaukee for Toronto. And so I think not only does Lowry have to score, not only is he going to have some key role, you know, half court defense. But managing the game, controlling the pace, trying to take away easy stuff for a Golden State, that's going to be uh, largely on his shoulders because that's what he's done for Toronto all season. Um, let's take a quick break here. But first, today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. 
And untuck it. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts, like tall, short, slim, and relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's button-ups look so long and baggy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual, untucked look that isn't sloppy. That's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com with the promo code NBA to get 20% off. Okay, so we jumped around. We all had, well, no, David had Kyle Lowry as the most interesting. Ben, you and I both had Kawhi as our most interesting. Ben, number two. The, the second most interesting player in the NBA Finals is? Uh, to me, it's Steph Curry. And my methodology is basically historical stakes, right? So I think, as I mentioned, Kawhi could just sort of like blow everybody's mind and really change how we think about him, uh, elevating him even higher on like the pecking orders um, and adding a new notch to his belt as sort of the main guy on his team if he wins. But I think Steph's got a lot of play here too. First of all, obviously, Finals MVP. He's never won it. That's like the one thing that sort of eluded him. I think that's absolutely there for the taking for him. I think number two, he's faced a lot of this, you know, unfair criticism about, okay, how has he been as a postseason player? If you wind up just, you know, putting away the Rockets, sweeping the Blazers, and then taking care of business against the Raptors with sort of limited help from Durant, I think that basically gives Steph an even greater and thicker degree of immunity than he's enjoyed uh, to this point of his career. And then finally, uh, he's really climbing fast on a lot of the you know all-time best player at his position conversation so if I mean if he winds up with four titles a finals MVP a dynasty a 73 win season and everything like that like Steph versus Magic Johnson like that that conversation starts Mm. to really happen I think this summer in a couple weeks down the road if Golden State's able to take care of business so I think that's why it's so fascinating and we know what he does it's not like he's going to show us anything that he's never done before in these finals it's not going to be any major surprises Uh, But he's an absolute handful for teams to game plan for. And I think the fascinating part about, you know, Toronto's preparation for this series is they spent the last two weeks preparing for a team whose offense worked inside out. Giannis barreling to the paint to set up for their shooters. Golden State's offense is exactly the opposite, right? It's outside in, high screen and roll, Steph stretching you vertically, the other shooter stretching you horizontally. It's a totally different challenge for the Raptors' defensive personnel. And I think that will be fascinating to watch Toronto try to make those adjustments and also I think Steph trying to put his stamp on a series and and really you know having one where uh, it's you know quote unquote all his and, and and being able to get some credit that maybe people have been reluctant to give him yeah that's why I had Steph as my number two guy here too I think the finals MVP question doesn't have one yet um, well you know Durant's out he's going to be out for probably two of these games so Steph could really get a chance he could he has the opportunity now to just kind of put his imprint on this series and snatch that finals MVP and just run away with it. But how how Toronto defends him is going to be really interesting because, yeah, that's a great point, Ben. Like, they just spent this entire series basically collapsing their defense into the paint and forcing Giannis to make that decision whether or not he wants to try to barrel through four Raptors or try to find the open player in the corner. And that's kind of the exact opposite thing you want to do against the Warriors. Like, you want you don't want to give them – you don't want to force them into making decisions – you want to take the decisions away from them, especially that that Curry Draymond Green pick and roll that they've just been killing teams with ever since Durant went down in the in against Houston. Like you want you want to take as much away of, of that as possible. That's an action that starts on the perimeter. That's you know again the exact opposite of what what the Bucks do with you know driving and kicking and all that stuff with Giannis. It'll be really interesting to see what Nick Nurse puts together to try to to limit that. Again, it goes back to where do you start Kawhi. 
where do you start Lowry? How do you try to take away that pick and roll game? Um, and all those things. And ultimately, why Steph is so interesting is because he can shoot it from 33 feet. And just whatever game plan you come up with, he can just vaporize it with a three-pointer. And that, and you can't do anything about it. And so, yeah, He's I think... He's also in a great that, groove, too, right? He, he enters yes. the series with tons of momentum, playing great against Portland, 30-plus points every single game. Yeah. And... You know that those series revolved around him, and that's great to see too. David, you didn't have Steph number two, right? I did not. Okay, did you? I didn't it? even have him on my list at all. Okay. <laughs> yeah, is it Patrick I, I, I McCaw at number two? Like, what do we got? <laughs> no, no, I've got KD at number two. Okay, um, but you know, I, I mean, I think we can get into the reasons why KD is interesting or not interesting later on. But as far as like Steph is concerned, like you know, listening to both of you talk, it's so hard to well, my own. My own criteria for what's subjective or what's interesting or not feels like it's so different because it's like, are we weighing the on the court things of the, what he can do in a pick and roll situation, how he attacks or how Nick Nurse or Kawhi defends him, et cetera, versus, you know, the legacy, as you mentioned, Ben, like, I mean, all these things, they, they seem like they're kind of uh, like battling each other. It's like, are, are we more interested in what he, whether he's going to be the MVP or whether or not he's going to be? Well, that's why I think Kawhi, kind of... Kawhi and Curry are the number one and two because both like they both have a lot of legacy stuff at stake, and then what they can do on the court and how they force the other coach's hand. Like it's all it's it's all these things combined. Yeah, maybe I, I don't know. Like I, I just see that legacy thing with Steph, and it's like it, it's kind of a moot point. Like I mean, there's still so much left in his career here, and, I, and whether he gets to another finals or not, I don't know that this finals is going to be the one moment that defines. Maybe he could, maybe he could not. I mean, and again, maybe it's based on well, on what on what kind of a series he has, and maybe that's what it's. Well, here's the other thing too: is if he just completely goes off, goes wins this finals MVP, tramples the Raptors, and yeah, does does that do more now? With to that Durant conversation. Now, I think everybody believes that Durant is out the door. Rich Kleiman can say whatever he wants, but I just, I that is going to be a conversation. And I don't know if you find that conversation interesting or not, but that is just another, it's like a whole other layer to this thing, right? Is well, how does Durant look at all this? Though. Hasn't Curry been sort of overlooked in the best player in the league conversation by most people, right? Usually it's been Durant, mm-hmm. it's talked about as the heir to LeBron. Now people are starting to say, well, maybe Kawhi sneaking in. Obviously, Masai made that case right after game six. I think Curry's got his section of fans who are saying, look, you can call him greatest, best, or most impactful, whatever word you want to use. Curry's changed the game. He's the one who's got who's the best shooter, the best weapon in the age of uh, of shooting. And everything else revolves kind of around him. And he was so good that uh, Durant wanted to go join him. This is really, it's just kind of set up perfectly to kind of showcase all of those arguments. If they win the series in like five games and he winds up, you know, averaging like 35 like he did in the Western Conference Finals, I think he's got a real case here as the best player in basketball. I think that people are going to be more likely to make that case at that moment than at any other point over these last four years. And so I totally understand the fatigue factor all the Warriors winning, kind of running together in people's minds, and it starts to be a little bit overwhelming and, you know, what's really different here or there. But I think for Steph specifically, there are some pretty clear stakes. Historically, where does he stand against, you know, Magic, Isaiah, whoever else you want to throw in the best point guard of all time conversation? He's got to move up real high if he gets that fourth ring, uh, especially if it comes with the finals MVP. And then also against his contemporaries, I think it would be a level of validation that even that 2015 title you know, it, it didn't come with. Like, everybody still said, right. well, LeBron's better, right? Uh, and I think this would be his first opportunity to be like, I won the title, I won it on my terms, this is my league. And As the uh, best player on the floor, right? Yeah, bingo. I mean, yeah. Um, so who did you have at number three, Ben? 
Um, I had KD, and I mean, David can yeah. probably explain this better than I did, but it's just the, it's the huge uncertainty factor. It's the question of how do they reincorporate him? If he's on the court, all the matchups tilt so much more favorably to Golden State, uh, and I think they're so much harder to guard for Toronto if he's on the court, uh, and their offense is just steadier when he's on the court. They don't dig some of those holes that we saw them get into in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, so to me, you know, Katie's uh, at number three. David, why did you have number, him number two? Well, I, I want to see that th- those contrasting styles of play. Like, I think everybody was looking at that matchup against Portland, and I think one of the arguments that came out of it was, wow, Golden State's so much more interesting or fun to watch without Durant there. And obviously, that's something he probably takes extremely personally. Maybe he doesn't, but I... I, I I mean, given his his history and, and how you know sensitive he could be about these kinds of things, I do feel like he's got a point to prove. So I'm curious to see whether or not this is this might be their biggest vulnerability here. You know, and it's weird to say that considering he is the Hall of Fame level talent that he is, but he could be the one that kind of upsets everything for Golden yeah. State because because they work so well together when he's not there, and they can work together well when he's there, but just differently. I wonder if he tries to do too much and then winds up changing everything completely. So watching him and seeing, as you pointed out, how he's incorporated back, how he kind of defers to everybody or fails to defer to everybody is is one of the things that makes this series, I think, in, in total, very, very interesting to me. Yeah, I think um, th- this is a concern, I do think, for the Warriors. And they won't really admit it, but they've hinted towards it as, okay, what what does this look like if and when Durant comes back? Because they've all said, a different we're, team. we're better with Durant, we're better with Durant, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great, but you play so much differently when Durant is on the court. And even Steph said this. Um, Steph said this at shoot around last week or this weekend. He goes, uh, "I'll read the quote here. Honestly, it's going to be interesting because it's the finals, just the magnitude of the moment. But we'll definitely rely on the trust and understanding that with K out there, the ball still moves. We have a couple more play calls we can run for him defensively. We should be able to take it up another notch and his presence and still. And this is the key part: still keep the energy that we're playing with." and go win another championship. And he, he makes it a point to say, still keep the energy we're playing with. They weren't playing with that energy. They did they did just sort of default to, all right, just throw it to Durant in the, in the high post and let him go to work. And I think that there's going to be a little bit of push and, uh, uh, you know, tug and pull th- thing here where, okay, we want to play like this Warriors-style basketball, but Kevin Durant is going to want to be like, you know, screw analytics, do all this, whatever. I'm, I'm a hooper who likes to, you know, do the the... The the Jimbo double hezzy thing in the in the mid range, and just get my shot, and that's part of what he does and what he and how he likes to play and why the the Warriors identity has shifted so much since Durant has gotten there. So um, it's yeah, gonna I mean, what, just what that is gonna be interesting. Uh, I think the hardest part is is he like healthy and up to speed and game speed right coming back mm-hmm. into the series. Right. I actually think from a basketball standpoint, like they have collectively raised their game so well in the finals the last two years with Durant. I mean, they were, you know, what they go eight and one against Cleveland. They looked basically unbeatable in a lot of stretches of those games. And there wasn't that real conversation of, Oh, is it Steph's team? Is it Katie's team and all that stuff during those specific series? Because those guys were, uh, you know, managing that relationship basically flawlessly. And Kevin was playing at an incredibly high level in both those series. I mean, to win the finals MVP over Steph, like you've got to be playing really, really high, and that's what he was doing. Yeah. So I think if he's healthy and you drop him back in there, I'm not so concerned about some of those questions. Now, if he's a little bit rusty, if he's a little bit winded, if he's not prepared to you know be running you know 40 plus minutes like he was playing earlier in these playoffs, uh, it does get a little bit uh, more you know, interesting and tricky uh, for how they manage that relationship. And you know Curry's been. 
enjoying a complete green light and the ball in his hands an awful lot. And it would be hard for him specifically. He's shown the, the willingness to do that in the past, to defer some of that stuff to Durant. But it, it gets tricky if, like, Durant's not out there 100%. He's just trying to force things a little bit. He's trying to get into a groove after being away from the sport for three weeks. And then Curry's got to decide, okay, is it my turn to just take over here and do this? Or right. how much leash do I give KD to do it? And that's where it gets really tricky and really delicious uh, from a narrative standpoint. And th- well, 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 let's get into that or answer that question then, Ben. I mean, do you think Steph would be more willing to kind of, you know, given that all the things that you mentioned as far as his legacy and the MVP status and everything else, would he say, you know what, KD, you're kind of hurting us here I'm going to take over a little bit. Do you see that in Steph's composition? Like his makeup, is he going to be the kind of guy who can do that? I think he's always shown the ability to do almost whatever it takes to win, right? Um, I would expect that if KD was really struggling, and part of it comes down to like, what is the stake of the series when Durant reenters? Like if if Gold State's up 2-0, it's a little bit easier for Steph to say, okay, let's just get Kevin comfortable, however long that takes, even if it's like multiple games. If Toronto holds serve, you know, goes up 2-0 at home and Durant's coming back for game three, the urgency factor is there, right? Like, they have to win that game no matter what. And so I would expect in that situation, Curry to be a little bit more aggressive. And, uh, you know, for even Steve Kerr to turn to, you know, Curry and Draymond and, and their sort of running of the offense uh, in that scenario. So I, I do think some of the well, hypotheticals hinge on, you know, where the series stands once Kevin's coming back. They, they could go the other way, too. I mean, if they if Toronto, this series, again, starts in Toronto, if, they're, if it's 1-1 or 2-0 going back to Oakland, do you look at KD now and just say, okay, go save us, right? Because depending on how this, these first two games look, he could return and, and and just he could go take on the Kawhi assignment on defense. He on offense, he could go get you buckets, and and he can kind of just do that thing he did against LeBron in the last few finals. And remember, we the Warriors texted Draymond Green texted Durant and said, "We need you because of this LeBron guy." Like, does does KD sort of just reprise that role of, as savior? When he jumps back into this thing, and all of a sudden they say, you know what, actually we need you to do this. We need less of the Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green stuff. We actually need more of you. This is why we brought you here. Um, that's going to be it's, really interesting. It's funny, as a guy who always defends Kevin sort of from a you know narrative standpoint and everybody calling him a snake and all that, that's the dream mm-hmm. scenario, right? But it's hard to kind of uh, you know see it playing out because there's a lot yeah. of challenges here. You know, it, it, Just being away from the game is tough. Being out of rhythm, uh, having the team play so well. Uh, there's a lot stacked against him. You mentioned, you know, the Kawhi matchup. I mean, that's a huge one. It's one that he's won head-to-head in the playoffs before uh, back in 2016. But, you know, Kawhi is coming in with this, like, ramp-up of, of momentum, you know, from the end of the regular season where he really started playing bigger minutes up into, you know, playing 40-plus minutes in the postseason and getting himself into a groove. Uh, Kevin would not have that, uh, that, that benefit whatsoever. So, I mean, to me, I think it's almost uh, more likely – that he's in line for criticism or being scapegoated. If the series doesn't go their way, people would say, well, Kevin wasn't healthy or Kevin came back and wasn't right, right or Kevin came back and screwed things up. And so I think, unfortunately, that would be very unfair given how well and how poor, uh, how well he played and how important he was earlier in this postseason run for Golden State. But I, I right. almost am kind of resigned to feeling bad for him. Like I almost feel like he's in a no-win situation here coming back into this series unless he does turn in this miraculous savior performance. Uh, I feel like he's either going to get less credit than he deserves uh, because he was out, uh, you know, injured and Steph stepped up, or he's going to wind up getting blamed if something goes sideways. All right, let's take one more break here, and then we'll do our final two most interesting players of the NBA Finals Series. Today's show is brought to you by Grip6, where their goal is to literally make the best belt that's ever been made. 
Crip Sticks is an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, moms, and wives. Ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and it carries a low profile with the buckle laying flat against the waist, making the belt super comfortable. Grip 6 is the only belt with no holes, no flap, and no bulk. And today, Grip 6 has a special offer for you. Check it out at Grip6.com lock. And remember, to get this show every day, subscribe to Locked on NBA on the new Himalaya podcast app. In an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with our personally curated playlists and constantly updated new features. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked On NBA. All right, thank you to our sponsors, Hotel.com. Thanks to Untuck It and to Grip6 Belts. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked On NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. Ben, your fourth most interesting player in the NBA Finals is... Uh, for me, it's Draymond Green, and I say that because you men- I mentioned earlier how it's going to be a totally different mind frame for Toronto going from defending Giannis to having to defend the outside-in attack from Golden State. But I think you can kind of make a pretty strong argument it's the same deal for Draymond. I mean, he's going from being in a Western Conference Finals that was, like, set on easy mode for him. You know, it was just – like <laughs> the threes and fours for Portland were just pretty much hopeless, so Draymond could go anywhere he wanted on the court, not really have to be punished for it. Uh, he could trap relentlessly. He didn't have to worry about a bunch of interior targets on lobs that were, uh, you know, like real great finishers or anything like that. It was just sort of a field day for him. And I'm not sure that's going to be the same case uh, for Toronto. You know, I, I respect uh, Pascal Siakam a lot. I think Ibaka's had some moments in this postseason. Obviously, you know, keeping Marcus Gasol involved and on the court and producing will be really important for Toronto. And he's probably a guy you have to circle and say, okay, uh, does he find himself a lot less useful against Golden State? You know, that's probably going to be the case. Um, but I think for Draymond, you know, the, the difficulty is getting ramped up here very significantly. He's going to have to have uh, a very crucial role helping on uh, Kawhi Leonard. He's not going to be able to cheat as shamelessly as he did in the Western Conference Finals. And then offensively, he's going to have to continue to produce and to be a part of you know these triple-double type games and these overwhelming explosion types uh, stretches that we've seen from Golden State's offense because – uh, you know, Kevin's not going to be out there to start the series. So I think he's got a lot of weight on his shoulders. He's proven the ability to kind of step up and handle it. But uh, there's no doubt going to be an adjustment period going from that, those conference finals to the finals. Yeah, I've, I've got him at my fourth uh, position as well. So finally, we're aligned here because I, I just I love to see I love seeing the version of Draymond that we did against Portland and him pushing the floor, the, the pace and pushing the ball up the floor and. I'm curious to see whether or not he's able to do that again. I think that was when they were the most exciting, you know, seeing those moments there where he's engaging the offense and initiating things and and and, and doing all the things that that made him such a great player. Like obviously, if you're looking at how players are regarded by fan, by fans in general, I think he's probably a, a player who's very very underappreciated. I think the three of us probably hold him in somewhat high regard considering he is as impactful as he is. Maybe he's not the all-time great that, that some of the other players on the floor are, but he's still very, very impactful. And, and watching that and watching whether or not he's capable of, of, of you know, uh, matching that same level of impact that he did against Portland and seeing how he can do that against Toronto is is crucial, I think, for Golden State success. I mean, it's just he, he's just fun to watch, to be honest with you. And there's, there's always the, the loose cannon. I think, obviously, he's been yep. somewhat reined in during the playoffs, but to see whether or not he has those kind of moments where he shows that kind of energy and whether or not that energy consumes him and he lets go a little bit and maybe kind of shows too much emotion is, is always fun to watch as well. So I, I'm curious to see 
how he kind of responds. And, and Ben, as he pointed out, he's always kind of lived up to this moment, albeit not in 2016. But I, I think we're going to see a, a better version of Draymond in the finals. Well, he's one also one of these guys who, you know, you talk about bulletin board material. He's got his own bulletin board in his own locker, <laughs> right? It's just like he's just like looking for a reason to get mad. And I could see right. this whole like elevation of Pascal Siakam uh, as the next great <laughs> like stretch four or whatever. He'd be like, you know what? I'm going to show this dude up. Like he hasn't been here. I've been here. I'm the best power forward in this series. I could just see him like looking across and just saying like, I'm going to I'm going to shut this guy down. And I don't know if he can. I don't think he, I don't I don't think he can shut down Pascal Siakam completely. But it'll just be interesting to see himself just sort of like rise to that challenge. He's like, okay, well, it's not Mo Harkless or Alpha Rucamino anymore. I've got it. I get to go after this guy. And uh, he might love that challenge, and he might just completely seek his, uh, sink his teeth into it. Um, and then, like you said, David, if things go south at any point, does all of this love kumbaya stuff with Draymond Green, oh, he's, he's the emotional soul of the team, blah, blah, blah. Does that all of a sudden go the, back the other way where it's like, okay, let's bring him back. You know, now he's screaming at Durant or whoever. Like, it kind of just goes <laughs> that other, like, the dark side of this whole thing is, again, from an interest level, it doesn't get a whole lot more interesting than okay, what is what is Draymond Green doing because he's explosive. Um, who was your number three, David? I don't know if we got that one. No, uh, Kawhi. Oh, you had Kawhi. Okay, all right. So that was that was that was all four so far on Ben's list. Uh, ben, who's your fifth most interesting player? Fifth and final. Well, you guys made a good case for Kyle Lowry, so he probably deserves it. But the one who I initially had actually was Andre Iguodala. I picked Ooh. him because, you know, there was a little bit of a, a leg issue there uh, during the Western Conference Finals. I think he's going to have to play a huge role uh, against Kawhi Leonard. You know, I would actually start with him on Kawhi Leonard and trust those remarkable hands as, uh, you know, Iguodala was referring to yeah. them. Uh, hands versus after, hands. Yeah, right. After that, uh, you know, game-saving swipe against Damian Lillard. But uh, he's been crucial to slowing down or at least making LeBron work in the finals over these past years. I expect he's going to have a very similar role against Kawhi. I think the benefit for Golden State's team defense is Kawhi is not as good of a passer as LeBron was, so it might make it a little bit more interesting. But he's been shooting the ball great in isolation off the dribble from the three-point line, the mid-range. He really did a nice job of getting to the free throw line in some key moments uh, against Milwaukee's defense. And even though I thought the Bucks did okay against Kawhi, he was just able to overpower them, overwhelm them, outlast them. And I think, uh, you know, Iguodala is sort of a, a major X factor in terms of having, you know, Golden State be able to handle the Kawhi effect uh, more, you know, uh, more effectively uh, with their team defense uh, than the Bucks were able to. So uh, I think, you know, again, we're saying this whole series kind of re- revolves around Kawhi, his ability to emerge as the best player. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you can't really ask for, you know, a better specialist on defense to to throw against a, a player like Kawhi than Iguodala, given his experience, his intelligence, his physicality. Um, you know, he really hasn't lost that much uh, from a physical standpoint You know, during the playoffs when he's playing at his peak uh, effort level and intensity. Uh, and, and so I think uh, you know, he's another guy where if we're looking for people who, who might get credit uh, if Durant's not out there to sort of you know take a lot of the shine, I think he's another person who could wind up coming through and, and getting a, you know, a nice uh, series of bat packs for the job he does on Kawhi Leonard. David, who'd you have at five? I had Pascal Siakam. Um, to me, he's kind of symbolic of the Toronto Raptors' chances of, of you know having any kind of success, whether it's one game, two games, or even a, a, a series win, which neither of us expected to, to be the case. But like seeing him respond in this moment 
And maybe he's kind of representative of all of the the supporting cast, you know, aside from Kyle Lowry, who I think is is probably emerged as their second best player during the playoffs. Definitely most interesting. You know, I think he's he, he you know to see how he handles this moment. Like this is he's still such a young player, and he's obviously, as you said, he's had this kind of incredible turnaround season where he's he's finally tapped into all of those physical tools and incorporated these skills that we never expected him to do, and and seeing how he he matches up against Draymond and whoever defends him. Um, could change a lot of the perception about him. He, could he become a national name after this? I mean, obviously he is amongst NBA fans and you know, hardcore fans, and maybe obviously against for media. But do 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 does a common fan look at the Toronto Raptors and say his Pascal Siakam character and say he's a, a potential superstar in the making? You know, obviously he struggled against Milwaukee. Um, you know, his, his points per game dropped considerably, and he, he looked uh, uncomfortable there for for most of the series. Does he respond there and I think have the kind of big moments that we expect that he might? Um, you know, all, so many questions about his embracing this moment and living up to it. You know, to go back full circle, we, we talked about Kawhi Leonard having these moments in 2014. Maybe this is the opportunity for Siakam. Yeah. Maybe he could somehow wind up stealing the stage from all these great players and wind up being the best player in the series. Doesn't seem likely, but if that opportunity is there and he does take it, we could wind up seeing the birth of a Hall of Fame career in this series. I've got as my fifth most interesting player, Marcus Saul. Whoa! Um, it's his first NBA Finals. Just you know, yeah. I'm happy for this guy. Just, he worked hard. Got traded mid. Like wasn't happy about the whole situation. How it went down in Memphis. Got traded mid year. Goes to a Finals contending team. Gets to the Finals. Had a big um, impact in their postseason run. I'm just happy for him. Happy to see him here. Um, he could also be an issue for Golden State. I mean, there's a there's the potential here for... Look, I mean, after DeMarcus Cousins went down, even when DeMarcus Cousins was playing for Golden State... And by the way, none of us had DeMarcus Cousins in his top five. He might play in these finals, but I think we... I just, I'm not all, all that interested in, in DeMarcus Cousins coming off the bench, but that's a whole other thing. Um, can Marcus Saul get the Warriors centers to work in a way that Clint Capella couldn't, in a way that... Um, Nobody on Portland could, well, except with the you know two scorching hot quarters of Myers Leonard. But you know, can he make Kevin Looney uh, a liability as a, as opposed to a cornerstone, which Steve Kerr has recently called him? Um, you know, is, does, is he able to do? Is he able to play Jordan Bell and Damian Jones and these guys off the floor in a way that those other centers weren't able to? I think that if you can really establish the advantage at that center spot with Marcus All and also Serge Ibaka. You could have a real advantage, at least in one aspect of this series. And so I'd be really interested to see what Marcus Saul does, because part of that would be, well, start shooting from three. Like, if he could space the floor for Toronto, that opens up a whole lot of different avenues that the Raptors then have. Yeah, if you're Nick so. Nurse, you're starting your game plan preparation by showing Marcus Saul all the tapes of Myers Leonard shooting those wide open threes at the top of the key and say, look, this is the only reason why Portland was in this series at all as it unfolded, right? right. You have to do this. You have to be a willing shooter. You have to put them up in volume, and you've got to make them. So uh, absolutely, that's what you're trying to say offensively. I think defensively, the track record suggests Golden State has found ways to make centers like Gasol just miserable in the postseason's past, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether it's, uh, you know, going back to Mozgov or anybody else who's like not equipped with the greatest quickness and mobility at, at this stage of his career, uh, those guys, you know, f- uh, you know, for the most part, Uh, have been just turned into toast so I think the question is for Golden State if they don't have Durant and they can't get to their smaller lineups as much as they prefer does that create an avenue where Gasol is able to kind of find ways to stick on the court 
um, you know, whether you're able to kind of like put in, hit him into some cross matches so he can guard some guys who are maybe just hanging out in the corner rather than having to be actively involved in those high screens and rolls. I mean, I think that those are the kinds of questions that open up. If Golden State gets Durant back and he's actually playing pretty well, I think this would be a very tough series for him to have a, an impact in at that point. Uh, so that's kind of puts the pressure on Toronto. Get off to a good start. You've got to, mm-hmm. you know, try to get, uh, you know, if possible, games one and two before Durant gets back. So you're maybe in, you know, a pole position or, or command of the series before uh, he, he comes through and changes some of the matchups and some of the strategy. But there's no doubt Gasol has to be a scorer in this series if they're going to pull the upset. And it starts Thursday in Toronto, Game 1 of the NBA Finals. I think we're all really excited about it. That'll do it for us today. You can get this show on the new Himalaya Podcast app, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast, Locked On NBA. We'll hand the show off for the rest of the week. You can catch me and David over at Locked On Heat. Until next week, make sure to check out Ben Golliver's writing over at the Washington Post. Thanks for listening. 